Perhaps there's not a month that goes by without my hearing of somebody talking about the challenge that they're facing in taking care of their elderly parents. Assisted living now has become a multi-billion dollar business in America and in the West, and for a good reason. We do not have time in our busy Western culture to be able to care for the aged. And yet, in the Far East and the Middle East, this is an alien concept for them. They don't understand that. In fact, when you talk about retirement homes, they ask you what that is. It is a strange thought, because for them, they feel it is not only their obligation, but it's their privilege to take care of their aging parents. It's like someone said, they said, children are a great comfort in our old age, and they help you reach it faster too. (laughs) In the last two messages, we saw how the first two statements from the cross as our Lord hung on that instrument of torture between heaven and earth, that He exercised His divine prerogative. In the first statement, He said, Father, forgive them. And there, He was exercising His divine prerogative in His high priestly role as the great high priest in intercession for all the sinners. And the second statement, He was exercising His divine prerogative too. When He received a prayer from a repentant sinner, He was exercising His kingly role as the King of all kings, receiving prayer from others. The first two statements reveal to us our Lord Jesus' divinity, His supernatural nature. And in the third statement that we're going to look at today, He reveals His humanity. Don't ever ever forget that our Lord Jesus was fully man and fully God all at the same time. He went to sleep in the boat. That's His humanity. He woke up and silenced the wind and the waves. That's His divinity. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. That's His humanity. And then He called out to Lazarus, who was dead as a doornail, and his corpse began to stink, and He said, Rise up! And Lazarus rose up from the grave. That's His divinity. The two natures of our Lord Jesus Christ is what made Jesus to be the only Savior of the world. His two natures is what sets Him apart from anybody else. His two natures is what made Him to be the only way to heaven. And there is no other way to heaven but through Him. Now, please, if you turn with me to John chapter 19, beginning at verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and a disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. Our loving Father, as we see your caring heart throughout the Scripture, and as we see the caring heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would open eyes and ears 
that we will see and hear wonderful truth from Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reflecting on this passage, and I thought to myself, what if the doctor said to me, Michael, you only have a few days to live? What would I do? How would I react? How would I spend my time? And I thought in all candor and all honesty, as much as I love you, I love my ministry team, I love so many of you as my dear friends, the dearest friends in the world, I, with all candor, would want to spend those last few moments caring for my family. Many have heard me say this before, that my family is my primary congregation. If I fail to be the pastor to my wife and children, then I am not worthy to be your pastor or anybody's pastor. And that is what's happening here at the foot of the cross. The scenario is so incredible. In the first statement, we find our Lord's attention was toward the whole world. And He said, Father, forgive them. And He, in a sense, was forgiving everyone, and the circle is expended to everyone, including those malignant hands that nailed Him to the cross. While the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus is offered to all, it is only effective for those who come to Him and receive it. And then the next statement, you find that His focus begins to narrow from the world to one repentant sinner on the cross next to Him. And He forgave that man who said, Remember me. And Jesus said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Then here in the third statement, you see the the focus narrows even further just to His family. In fact, these are the last words that are spoken by our Lord before His death on the cross to anyone or about anyone. And what John is trying to do here, if you look a few verses before what we read, and, and he literally, like an artist, he's painting a picture of what is happening on that Golgotha, in that foot of the cross, or like a cameraman who was trying to capture the essence of what's really going on. And in a few verses before that, he tells us that the soldiers were gambling over his seamless outer garment. It's very significant. And as if to say, as soon as he looks at these soldiers gambling over his outer garment, he immediately looks at Mary. Why? Oh, because, you see, she made that outer garment, that seamless garment, she made it with her own hands. Now they're gambling on it. When a son is about to go into public life in the Jewish culture, his mother lovingly sews or put together a seamless garment for his outer garment to wear. It's not a garment that is bought from a department store, but it's made with loving hands to give to that son when he goes into public life. And if Jesus is saying, you have made this garment for me with your loving hands, uh, you and now seeing them gambling on that outer garment, you are seeing my flesh being torn apart for the sake of the forgiveness and redemption of everyone who would come to me. You know, most of us, to far lesser degree, can identify with Mary. Because Mary stands here representing 
everyone, every believer who had clung to the cross, even in times of puzzlement, in times of discouragement, in times of confusion. Why do I say this? Because there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Mary stood by the cross of Jesus, brokenhearted, watching Him being tortured and tormented, and became bereaved in her spirit, bewildered and puzzled at what is happening. You say, why? Because the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus is coming, is going to die on a cross, but you see, you need to put yourself in her place. Do you remember the message of the angel Gabriel when Mary became supernaturally pregnant of the Son of God? Do you remember the message? And when the message came to her, the Bible said she was troubled and puzzled. She was puzzled. Puzzled at having a baby when she knows that she has never been with a man. Puzzled when there was no room at the inn. She was puzzled when Herod the Great killed all these babies. She was puzzled when she and Joseph and baby Jesus had to flee into Egypt. Puzzled when she saw people accusing her son, pure, holy son, falsely and were out to destroy him, puzzled when they called him illegitimate and wine-bibber and, 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 and of the devil. Now she is puzzled and broken-hearted as she watches his flesh being torn on that cross. Now, beloved friends, let me tell you something. While none of us will ever be in that situation or even understand this, but I know that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps there are times in your life when you are very puzzled at the will of God in your life. You're puzzled at your circumstances, puzzled as to why God had not answered your prayers, puzzled at why you have experienced setback in your health or setback in your business, puzzled at what seemingly injustice and and fairness of the things that are happening to you, puzzled at the painful circumstances which you had no hand in creating. But like Mary, you too clinging to the cross of Jesus, you too standing firm in obedience to the Word of God. Like Mary, you are submitting to the will of God even though you don't understand it. But there's something here that I don't want you to miss. You see, what she was going through was a subject of a prophecy. In fact, it's the subject of the very first prophecy that has ever taken place in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, when Jesus was one month old, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple. And there Simeon the priest took the baby Jesus in his arms. And he said to the Lord Jesus, or about the Lord Jesus, the following. He said, This child is destined to cause the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and to be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed. And then Simeon turns and looks at Mary, who was a teenage girl with a baby and no husband yet, just a man to whom she betrothed. And he said, And the sword 
will pierce your soul also. Other translations said your heart. And the sword will pierce your heart too. You say, Michael, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ten months earlier, she is told that she is highly favored. Ten months earlier, she said, all generations that call me blessed. Just ten months earlier, uh, she was told that her son will sit on the throne of his father David. What's going on here? I'm sure if you and I were in her place, we would be puzzled too. I know I would be. But she stood by the cross. She clung to the cross. She stood there representing every one of us who gets puzzled at the will of God. Puzzled when you know deep down in your heart that you are not reaping the evil that you have sown, but you are suffering for the good that you have done. Mary is a symbol of everyone who says, I don't understand why. Everyone who is living with disappointment in life that is unexplainable, she's a symbol to everyone who says things did not work out the way I thought they're going to work out. Things did not work out the way I expected them to work out. Everyone who feels that they are going uphill and the wind blowing in their face. That's Mary. Oh, but she clung to the cross. She stayed at the cross. Because she believed that in all things, God works together for good for those whom He loves. You see, she knew that He's working things together for her good and His glory. And the resurrection was coming. My favorite hymn, probably of all times, but certainly one of the top three, is the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. While the word absolutely magnificent and touched me deeply, the furnace of affliction, extreme affliction, from which that hymn came to be, never ceases to amaze me. It really doesn't. Horatio Spafford was a committed Christian lawyer and a businessman in Chicago. And one day he placed his wife and four children on a luxury liner known as the Villa de Harvard. And there he promised them as they were sailing from New York that he will join them in a few weeks' time as he had some business to attend to, and once he finished the business, he'll be on his way to join them. So they sailed from New York going into Paris with the expectation of being united again. The trip began beautifully, sailing out of New York Harbor. But on November 21, 1872, the Ville de Harbor was struck by another vessel called the Lucerne and sunk within 30 minutes. Almost all the passengers went to their watery grave. Horatio Spafford heard the news of the collision, and all he could do is get on his knees and cry out to God, Oh God, please save my family. But what actually happened, that the three of his children were swept away by the waves. And while his wife was clutching her youngest, the waves swept the child from her arms, and Mrs. Spafford became unconscious, only to wake up later to learn 
that she was rescued by the sailors from the Lucerne, but all her four children have gone then to their watery grave. Back in Chicago, Horatio Spafford, for ten days, desperately waiting to hear some news of what happened. Finally, his rescued wife, as soon as she reached Cardiff, she sent a two-word telegram, saved alone. That night, Mr. Spafford spent the night walking around his big house, going from room to room of his children, as you can only imagine in your wildest imagination, literally, walking around from room to room in that big house with puzzlement in his heart and puzzlement in his mind. Why, Lord? But then, as God promised, he began to experience that peace that did not make sense in the difficult times. And so, by the early hours of the morning, he said to his friend, Major Whittle, He said, I am glad to be able to trust my Lord when it cost me so dear. He stood by the cross. He clung to the cross, even in puzzlement time, discouraging times. And as Mr. Spafford began to reflect upon this disaster at sea that deprived him of children, he sat down and wrote that beloved hymn, When peace like a river attained this my way, and sorrows like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and He has shed His own blood for my soul." But that's not all. That is not all. The Spafford turned to the Lord and they said, Lord, how can we serve you? How can we spend the rest of our lives serving you? You see, beloved, listen to me. For a believer, for a godly man, a woman, boy, or girl, when they face a trial in life, it can make them better. But for those who do not know the Lord, trials can make them bitter. And they became bitter, and they cried out to God, we want to serve you. How can we serve you? And the Lord directed them to Palestine. Yeah, Palestine. And there, they built an orphanage for disadvantaged children and a clinic next to it. Still there today. Mary was puzzled as she stood by the cross. And if Mary is an example of those of us who stand by the cross... John the Apostle, on the other hand, is an example of a believer who cannot stay away from the Lord for too long. I think all of us in our Christian walk know times of dry spells, spiritually speaking. Earlier on, the Lord said to all of His disciples, He said, all of you, that's including John, He said, all of you are going to fall away at the account of me. And Peter, bless his heart, he represents so many of us who have a foot-in-the-mouth disease, (laughs) reacted vigorously, no way, Lord, there is no way this is going to happen to you. They will have to come to me first, they have to go through me to get to you. I got your back, Lord. (laughs) You know what happened. Matthew 26, 35 tells us that they all said that. 
including John. They all said it. But by the time you get to Matthew 26, 57, you read that all the disciples deserted him and fled. Every one of them, including John. All of them without exception. But then at the time of Jesus' trial, John shows up again. He's the only one who does. You see, John could not stay away from his beloved Lord. He could not stay away for too long, and he kept coming back. But then as Caiaphas began to question Jesus about his disciples, as he said to him, what about your disciples? Who are they? Where are they? At that moment, John slips into his shadows and disappears. And there, Jesus stands absolutely, totally, completely alone. But there's a divine reason for that. There's a divine reason. The one who dies for the sin of the world must die alone. John alone is a disciple who came back at the cross. He couldn't stay away for too long. What about you? While Peter was somewhere wellowing in his sorrow, John alone came back to the cross. While Thomas was somewhere covered with doubt like a blanket, John alone came back to the cross. And while Judas was out there taking his own life, John alone came to the cross. John always referred to himself as the disciple who's closest to Jesus, whom Jesus loved. And, and someone may ask, did Jesus really have favorites? Is that what it is? That there are favorites to Jesus? Absolutely not. Listen carefully. The reason John was close to Jesus is because John wanted to be close to Jesus. You can be as close to Jesus as you want to be close to Jesus. James chapter 4, verse 8 said that when we draw close to Him, He draws close to us. When we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. And John was one man of the twelve who wanted to cling to Jesus. Does God have favorites? No. There are some who favor being close to Jesus. When you desire to be close to Jesus more than anything else in the world, Jesus will draw close to you than anything you've ever experienced in any other time. There's something else here I don't want you to miss. It's so wonderful. It's so incredible. And I see it throughout the life of our Lord. When John came back, Jesus did not say to him, John, where were you? <laughs> I was looking for you. I thought of all the disciples, you will be the one that would not have been left me at that time of that trial. Where were you, John? No, 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 beloved, listen to me. There was no rebuke. There was no scolding. There was no guilt-making. There is no, I told you so. Not with our Lord. But rather, he looked at him, and he gave him the highest responsibility that our dying Savior could give anyone. He said, Son, behold your mother. Beloved, the truth be known. Some of us have made promises to the Lord, promises that we're going to walk close with Him, promises that we will be in intimacy with Him on a regular basis, spending time with Him and time with His Word. Then we got busy and forsook those promises. We got tired and let go of the promises. 
We got disappointed with the circumstances of life and gave up on these promises that we made to God. Oh, but beloved, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Like John, you can come back to him today. It was interesting, some commentators, of course, give the prominence in this incident to the Blessed Virgin Mary in this situation. And without any disrespect to the Blessed Virgin, they forget that it's all about Jesus. That we are not saved because Mary stood by the cross, but we are saved because Jesus died on that cross. And Jesus, who kept all of the commandments all of the time perfectly, here He is. As he's drawing his last breath, he was keeping the fifth commandment. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. In other words, treat them with dignity. Care for them. Provide for them what they need. Obviously, Joseph, Mary's husband, died. And now it is the role of the eldest son to take care of his mother, according to that culture. So Jesus was making provision even at the moment of his most agonizing experience. And the Lord looked at John and he said, Now, John, I want you to stand as a substitute for me. John, I want you to stand in my place. John, I want you to speak for me. There is a word from the Lord for every one of us. The Lord is saying, calling you by name. He's saying, I need you, John. I need you, Bill. I need you, Sue. I need you, Jane. I need you. I need you to stand by my church. I need you to stand by my work. I need you to stand by my gospel. I need you to stand by my kingdom. I need you to stand by my ministry. I need you to stand by me. I need your mind. I need your devotion. I need your voice. I need your hands. I need your money. I need your time. I need you. Will you say, here I am, Lord? Would you say, I will, my Lord? Will you say, I'm ready, Lord? I pray to God that this is not just a message that you go out and immediately evaporate out of your mind in the next 30 minutes, but that God will imprint it at the very cortex of your mind and the depth of your heart. But there may be someone here today who would say, I haven't really taken the first step yet. I have never committed my life to Jesus Christ. I've never came in repentance and and faith and, and, and received Him as my Savior and Lord. Well, you can do that today. You can do that as we pray. Father, you know where each one is and what stages we're in, what level of faith we have. Nothing is a surprise to you. And so, as we come to you today, for those who are coming to you for the first time in the name of Jesus, let them hear that voice. You are forgiven. And today you shall be with me in paradise. For those who have been away from you, Father, I pray, just like John, place them in the place of responsibility. Whatever you call you have in our life, Father, I want to be one to say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. And Father, I thank you that you're the God not only of the second chances, a million chances. 
and we rejoice in who you are today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.